0: From the Blanchestan Center. This is Phoenix FM. The internet is a communications tool used the world over where people can come together to bitch about movies and share pornography with one another. According to the Nerd Index, you should
1: be upside down in a
0: junior high toilet around the clock.
1: This is spot <laughs> All your bases are blown to us.
2: A alone. The, world... oh, yes,
3: the balls are inert. To
2: and now it begins.
0: All right, everybody, this is Bryn here on 92.5 FM with Phoenix FM, and you are listening to Nerd to Know Media, and I am joined this week by the one and only, Keen. Pleasure to be here as always. Hello, hello. Sorry for talking over you there. (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. Uh, (laughs) It's not going to (laughs) matter in the next few minutes anyway, so it's fine. Um, How have you been, dude?
3: I have been very, very good. i uh, been doing a lot of articles for Geek Ireland about uh, my little baby daughter and her kind of us brainwashing her into being a nerd. And uh, been, yeah, I've been watching a lot of TV as well. How about you?
0: I, I've been kind of doing the same. Um, I'm kind of uh, running all over the shop at the moment because it's been, it's the Christmas period. My girlfriend loves Christmas, so I've been subjected to uh, Christmas films, some good, <laughs> some good, some less good, <laughs> uh, um, and yeah, it's been it's been a bit of a wild ride. But I've also been watching a good bit of uh, uh, new TV, mainly stuff from BBC. Uh,
3: oh, TV. excellent, excellent. Me too. I think we've been watching the same stuff. Before we get onto that, though, I'm dying to know what are the less good Christmas films you've seen.
0: Uh, so we just went to the cinema to see Last Christmas.
3: Oh, the wham one yeah, well you heard Wamageddon then, huh? Have you heard of that thing Whamageddon? you have to avoid yeah. here in last Christmas there all oh, december
0: yeah that 's like literally impossible for me. <laughs> I grew up in love so it's like you know that's just ne- that 's never going to happen
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, then, go on, give us a quick review uh, would you recommend the film then
0: i, I, I okay, so it's a it's kind of like a chick flick kind of thing it's about this girl who um she's kind of like a bit of a train wreck um uh she like she's like a bit of a train wreck she kind of like sleeps around she drinks too much she's you know late for work that kind of thing and uh she's trying to be a professional actress in london Mm -hmm. and then she meets this guy this guy seems amazing and You know, it kind of looks like something's going to happen. Looks like something's not going to happen, and this is the way the film goes. I mean, yeah, it's just about every chick flick you've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) Look, it's. I mean, it's not the. It's not. It's not my cup of tea personally, but I will say this for it: the the acting in it is makes it a hell of a lot better than it could have been. Um. Like I mean, this is—it's one of those things where, like, when it does get to the points where it has like emotional beats, it hits them very, very strongly. So, like, it's one of those things of going. Well, look, if you like, if you like these kind of cheesy Christmas films and you like chick flicks, go and see it. It's, you know, it's completely harmless. Like, you know, but if, you know if you're like me and you don't really care, well, you know, if you're going with someone you care about, it's fine. You know, there's some I mean there's there's like some small comedic characters in it who are really, really funny and ha- like almost everything they almost every interaction they have is pretty solid. Okay. Um, well
3: then you mentioned the performances. Who are the standout performers then?
0: Um I mean the two leads. It's um Amelia Clark from um Game of Thrones, and I cannot remember the name of the lead actor. Um just give me one minute. Kind
2: of <laughs> um but, like, uh, but yeah, so you go first. Yeah,
0: Millie Clark's really, really strong at it. And um, I'm just trying to see this guy's
3: name. <laughs> uh, Henry Golding.
0: Um, no, I don't think so. Um, why is this so hard? <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, though. I got, and while you're looking that up, I got intrigued by the presence of Emma Thompson and. Uh, Michelle Yeoh from Star Trek Discovery because they're like top-notch talent. I wasn't expecting to see them playing supporting roles in a Christmas film, you know?
2: Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah. Henry Golding. Is, yeah. And like, the, like the two of them are great. Like they basically nail. Like, there's a couple of like, of really solid scenes that they just absolutely nail, which is great. Um, but yeah, like I mean, the whole cast from uh, that's there all do their jobs perfectly well so like you know thumbs up (laughs) for (laughs) me
3: oh my goodness okay would you put it on like a level with joker since that was the last thing you reviewed on this show
0: no 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 no. but i mean one they're two different they're very different films and Mm. uh they're one they're very different films and two like so the the joker is a very thought evoking film Hmm. This isn't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's not something. You know, there they're kind of two different films that you'd watch at different times. Like um Last Christmas is the kind of film that you put on because you'd put on T you'd watch when it's on TV, when there's nothing mm-hmm. else on, and you've got some time to kill. You know? Whereas yeah. a film that you would make time for. You would probably watch it at a very specific time, probably not eating it while eating food, probably <laughs> watching it while while, e- while avoiding eating food, you know, because it's not it's not really it's not re- like that. You know, they're very different uh, films like I mean, uh, this is like, you know, if it's going to give it a grade, this is like a, a C Where it's like, you know, Joker is a tricky one to grade for me.
3: Yeah, I I must confess, I was only slightly joking because uh, I think of Christmas films. uh, I'm a huge fan of the show Doctor Who and they do a a Christmas special every year. And the writer of that, who used to write it, Stephen Moffat, said that with Christmas episodes, you have to write for an audience that isn't fully paying attention to it yeah and that seems to be kind of christmas films in general it's sort of like crowd pleasing to a big room around the tv would you call that put that
0: in this kind of bracket oh, totally it's a total crowd crowd pleaser like i mean for god's sake they built they built a film around the idea of having george michael songs so it's,
3: <laughs> <laughs> i was actually doing a bit of googling while we were talking about that apparently emma thompson also wrote the film
0: yeah yeah That's, i mean it's it's a really solid film like you know, um, again when it comes to comparing it to Joker, and it's night, you know, <laughs> night and day. You never know. The Joker sequel,
3: since instead sort of talking about one, might be a Christmas film. You never know. But Long Halloween included a Joker Christmas bit.
0: Yeah, yeah, that would be a really. I mean, that that'd be more akin to the to Nightmare Before Christmas. I think. <laughs> if
3: See, any... again, I started joking. Now I'm starting to get interested in this idea.
0: Yeah. A Nightmare Before Christmas, but with a Joker? Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not? <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. unsettling.
3: I could see him singing. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I, I could, yeah. See him singing, like... I'm just getting Clockwork Orange vibes now. Uh, yeah, I
3: mean, he's got the dance moves down already, like,
0: so... Uh, but, yeah, like, um... You know, like, I think, um... The like the, the best uh, Christmas film I saw was uh, Netflix's uh, Klaus. I don't know if you oh that. yeah, no, I haven't <laughs> seen that yet. How is it? Oh, it's great! It's really, really great. Um, it's an animated animated film. Uh, it has J.K. Simmons playing Santa Claus, which I'm uh, in. I want to see uh, it. <laughs> exactly. It's so great. It's, uh, <laughs> it's one of the best like family films I've seen since Paddington. Re- oh my god that is high praise yeah, it is like padding to do is one of my favorite films of all time <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying this is like up there with it but it's like the best family film i've seen since it so yeah i would i would recommend it watch it as soon as humanly possible well
3: i haven't actually heard much
0: about this give me a quick pitch of the plot um basically you got this guy who's like this um He's kind of like a, um, a laissez-faire kind of person. He works as part of this postal service, and like he literally has everything handed to him. He doesn't care. He doesn't want really want to be a postman, but it's like it's part of the family business. And like his dad gets sick of him, just behaving like this. So mm. he shoots him off to this, like, to this uh, island. And at first he's like, "Well, what's the big deal with this island? It's like a it the- frozen wasteland," and like. He gets there, and he's just like, well, what's the deal with this place? And then it turns out that, like, basically everyone who lives there is insane. <laughs> and they're all, like, in this, like, this generationally entrenched family feud that has split the entire town down <laughs> the middle. And... um just through like a, a bit of happenstance himself uh he befriends this um uh, this uh giant uh giant uh um, red man who's um who's a, a lumberjack and th- through the course of the story they start delivering presents to kids and he's doing this to he's doing this to get like the postal service set up because he has to He has to get like 10,000 letters delivered for him to to go home and get all the stuff that he wanted again. And it just turns into this whole thing and it's slowly but surely actually like turning the, it's turning the town around and like less and less people are like buying into the, uh, into this big feud. And yeah, it's really good. Okay, I'm hyped for this. So, like, would you like put an age
3: range on it? Like, or is it for adults? Or is it like
0: family? It's a family film. It's family. You could be three years old watching it, you could be 30 years old watching it, you could be 90 years old watching it, and you'll enjoy yourself. (laughs) It's it's for everyone. Like, it's great.
3: Nice. Okay, because, like, that's always the thing. I feel like they try and make a new Christmas classic every year, and very rarely I feel like they actually stick.
0: Well, yeah, but I think I think I mean there's only to me now. There's only like three Santa Claus films that are worth watching at all, mm-hmm. my opinion. Yeah. The first one is the the one that came out in the '80s that had John Lithgow as the. Oh, name. I forgot about that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one, like that one. I love John Lithgow. He's one of my favorite actors of all time. Oh, yeah, yeah. He is so he hams it up so much for know? free. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love that film so much it's so great it's I am a big fan of Arthur Christmas and Really? I, I tried watching it last Christmas, I didn't quite get into it Yeah, Ar- Arthur Christmas is like one of the few like modern iterations of Santa that I, I really got into mm. and I think it's because like it's like that, that that difference between like American modernization and British modernization whereas like American modernization goes like, isn't it so cool that we're like, modern and stuff now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we've got rocket boosters and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the English one is like, you know, like, a lot of the humor around it is that like, it's just, they've just turned it into, like, a delivery system. And, like, <laughs> you because know, the present's missing and, like, um, uh, Hugh Laurie, or not Hugh Laurie's character, I can't think of the... Uh,
3: James McAvoy
0: is in it, isn't he? Yeah, no, sorry, I'm just I'm blanking you know, the actor's name. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's like going, look, it's not actually it is Hugh Larry. Yeah. Ah. So Hugh Larry's going, uh he's going like, Well, look, you we're aware that the present that the uh that the present won't make it in time for Christmas Day, but we know we'll get it to them in the window of Christmas. <laughs> 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 you know, it, stuff like that's a really nice touch. Um I do, yeah, the film itself, I like I love Arthur Christmas. I think it's great. The animation it has a lot to be desired, but the actual story just carries it for me anyway. Um but yeah, like the like this one is like the like this film, Klaus is like the the newest one for me that goes into that group of going, This is actually a good Santa Claus film, you know. And not just like, what, I want what, it to be good, like Santa Claus versus the Martians. Oh,
3: uh, <laughs> that's a classic.
0: Yeah, but it's not a good film.
3: <laughs> oh no! Oh no! It wouldn't be a classic if it was good.
0: But yeah. what about the Tim Allen Santa
3: Claus? I was watching that uh, last. I think it was on RT last Saturday, and it's very nineties. It's dated in some respects, but I still have to watch it every Christmas.
0: That that film needs to get get uh, set on fire. <laughs> Oh, right. Oh, I hate it so much. <laughs> I like, hate I'm, it Because it's basically the exact opposite of Arts of Christmas. It's like I find it completely <laughs> charmless. I like, oh man, I, I cannot begin with how much I detest that film. It's just, like lowest common denominator, minimal effort, storytelling, and I just can't be bothered. Uh, yeah, no, hate it. I hate it. <laughs> like um, again, I'm not saying like the like to be fair to it. I'm not saying the film for the story it's trying to tell is meritless. I'm just saying that like in every conceivable way that it could put me off enjoying it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, I completely disagree. I just love how it's got this like nice cynical edge to it uh, about like you know the separated family and like how seriously the kind of the mother and the stepdad overreact to him still believing in Santa Claus and like all that kind of stuff. I just, I mean, it's, it's very dated, but I find it incredibly charming.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I just, I elves with attitude will always,
3: that, that was the, oh, that I was,
0: <laughs> that
3: was the bit where Stevie was watching it with me. And she's like, all right, the film's lost me a bit now. And we've been with it until
0: then. Yeah, um, yeah. I just, I just can't stand it. And <laughs> like, it, it's actually like that film has like single-handedly put me off anything with Tim Allen in it. Um, really? Even Toy Story. You, know, you see Toy Story, you don't have to see his face, so <laughs> I can forget that it's him.
3: <laughs> to be fair, after the halfway part, he's buried under a beard anyway.
0: Yeah, but it, you know. It's still, it's still just like, like between this and uh, Christmas with the clumps. I, you know.
3: Oh no! Don't put these two films in, a, in the same category. That is harsh watching.
0: They're not in the same category, but I consider them both really unpleasant to watch. So. But you see what I mean? Though that's kind
3: of what I put in the category of films that try to that come out and try to be a Christmas classic and just kind of land yeah. on their faces.
0: Yeah, I mean. I think I I think when it comes to I think when it comes to a film trying to be a classic in any genre, Mm -hmm. coming out of the gate being like we're going to make a classic, you're Mm going to fail, like unless you really know what you're doing. Yeah, like I mean, the the amount of times where like, because it's the same thing as like you know trying to come out and trying to intentionally make a bad film, you know, like oh um, yeah, you
3: have to do it by accident, don't you? More often than not.
0: I mean, again, like I mean, even in that kind of. Uh, capacity like i mean the, the the amount of times where people have set out to make an intentionally bad film where it mm. is like on a handful of occasions and they were doing very specific very genreified things like kung pao under mm. the fist or black dynamite are excellent examples of intentionally made bad films yeah you know whereas like you know you look at something like the i mean
3: like Mega like. Shark versus Giant Octopus, like that kind of thing?
0: Yeah, exactly. Where those little films are going like, see how crap it is? And you're like, yeah, but you just... <laughs> you can put a terrible premise, and then you just double down on it. Yeah. it's. I mean, anyone can do that. Not anyone can can think that the special effects in Birdemic work. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, but
3: Birdemic's a good example of doing that kind of bad well, because... I think a good bad movie, not to get too sidetracked, but I think it has to keep surprising you. I think, like you say, if it's just relying on bad special effects, you're like, I get it after a while, you know?
0: It's like, I mean, one of the things I love about Troll 2 is that like it has comedic, like that its badness has comedic beats to it. Whereas, yeah. Like, this kind of like onslaught and cavalcade <laughs> of bad stuff happening and questionable decisions and like increasingly different questionable decisions happening all the time. (laughs) It's one of those times where you're going, I have absolutely no idea how they managed to cram so many bad ideas into one film. It's kind of impressive that they've managed to do this without even trying. Like, it's effortless how many bad ideas are in Troll 2. You know? (laughs) Like... um. But it's, it's that thing. It's one of those things that, like, it, I think when you're trying to do a classic, it's, I mean, when people think of a classic, um, when people think of classic Christmas films, they think of stuff like, you know, like Home Alone, which stands mm. out as a seminal <laughs> classic. and something that, like, um, but, like, I mean, look at how many Home Alone films there are now and, like, how not special any of the ones after Home Alone 2 are.
3: Yeah, apparently Home Alone... I talked about this before. Home Alone 4 was, was supposed to be the launch point for a Home Alone TV show.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
3: How weird is that?
0: Yeah. I mean... There's, I mean, there's been worse ideas for TV shows. Um.
3: <laughs> oh, my God. But, like, maybe in, like, 30 years' time, there might be, like, they might get... Uh, who was the original director? Chris Columbus? They might get him back and do a Home Alone Fury Road... Type thing that rejuvenates the franchise.
0: Yeah, that'd be pretty amazing.
3: Get Macaulay hulkin back; he's class. I love the stuff he does on YouTube.
0: Yeah, I actually haven't seen any of the YouTube stuff he did. The last like thing I saw with him do was a cameo in uh, one of Max Landis's videos, but that was like a couple of years ago.
3: Oh yeah, well, like he's probably he's doing what I think Bill Murray started, and I think other people are catching on to, which is that if you're well known. You can just do weird stuff, and it becomes sort of appealing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean?
0: It's like the litany of, uh, of, Bill Mur- like of stories about Bill Murray that end with him saying, no one will believe you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like. Yeah. The point where it's like, they're all urban legends now. Like, apparently, he tried to, like, applied
3: to work in, like, a fast food place at an airport a yeah. few weeks ago. <laughs> just because. <laughs>
0: Well,
3: that's to for you, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> He's too busy to do Ghostbusters 4, but, you know, working in like, a Kung Pao chicken place, why not?
0: Yeah, yeah well, look, I mean, it's like, it's like that, uh, that, uh, that bit in the Simpsons where James Woods works in the Quickie Mart. Yeah, it's exactly
3: like that. <laughs> 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 oh, Studying to be like an Eskimo firefighter or something like that. <laughs>
0: I've got to go battle, space, go battle aliens in our space. That sounds like a good film. Yeah, sure. film. Yeah,
3: sure, film, film and film. <laughs> My favorite Bill Murray story of recent is, uh, I think they had a film called like Monument Men or something like that. And he snuck off from a day's filming to go see the most disappointing clock in Europe. And like, he took like two trains to get to it. Like it was in Vienna and they were in a completely different country and had to go looking for a... <laughs> he just like did it on like
0: a whim that's amazing
3: (laughs) (laughs) so yeah um... (laughs) so that was a tangent that was a tangent Uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know what I've got it Dara isn't here this week I'm always blaming him for the tangents it's horrifying to discover we're perfectly capable of doing it on our own unsupervised relations
0: like, well, as I said to you off the air, like, uh, my conversation style is jumping from helicopter to helicopter. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: exactly. So, actually, you flagged this about 20 minutes ago. Let's hop on to the BBC shows. Uh, you said you've seen War of the Worlds before we started recording, yeah?
0: Yeah, I saw the first episode of it, and it was, it was really, really good. I just need to find time to finish watching it.
3: And... Oh, I've seen episode two and three, it's, which is, it's a three-episode thing. It is class. Yeah
0: yeah well like i i read the um i read the original H.G. E. Wells book a couple of years ago so it's it was nice to kind of see to um actually see it a bit more accurate than the the tom Cruise film was yeah
3: um, so that was going to be my question Have you seen any other war of the worlds adaptations like
0: um so like i've heard like a couple of different um uh adaptations that were done of orson welles's radio play. Mm. and I had um, actually auditioned for one as well um, really? yeah he had this back when I was in college yeah. Um, and I tried doing the it was all to do like a monologue for the audition piece so like yeah. I decided to do um, uh, the audition piece I decided to do was uh, the entire diatribe or- Orson Wells did from uh, the PZAD <laughs> I thought it'd be funny. Did it work? No. <laughs> well, what, well, what a way to go, though. Yeah, I know. It was just like you don't get this many opportunities to do to do an awesome Next, if that company
3: contacts you again, you should do like uh, what's his role in the Transformers movie? Yeah. Steve, it
0: works. To uh, Unicron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's Unicron, so it's not as um, it's not as fun. Like it's just because Maurice Lamarche uses used that as his uh, vocal warm up for <laughs> for uh, AEW <laughs> to do Orson Welles. <laughs> I was like, I have, to do it. I have to do it. The director was like, it was again, it was a college play, and it was one, it was one of those, um, one of those things where the director was like, so like was very like opening going, oh yes, I'm doing Orson Welles because that's yeah, what, that's what you're supposed to do, and he was not happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, for what it's
3: worth, uh, I've often like I've I've done shows and cast shows. Like if someone came in and did that as their audition, I'd give them a call back I think <laughs> that shows confidence.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it was very. But um, so, having nearly
3: started War of the Worlds, what did you think of the BBC's adaptation of it?
0: That's really good. I mean, the production is yeah. like with a lot of BBC stuff right now through the roof it's mm. really really good um yeah i mean it's nice to see a faithful adaptation of the book mm-hmm. again as i said like i'm yeah i really enjoyed it i do need to finish the, uh, the, ne- the next two episodes of it though yeah
3: yeah i won't spoil anything for you but i agree it's uh it's funnily enough um uh, i only stumbled across it because i've been watching the dark materials series and uh i loved it like me and Stevie watched it and we, like, waited all week to see the next two episodes. Like, it's got... Firstly, I think it's the only... I could be wrong, but I think it's the only screen adaptation that's actually set in the Victorian age. All of them have updated to the time that yeah. the film was being made in, like, the 50s, like, the post nine eleven, like, that kind of thing. So it was really nice to see that attention to detail and that, like, kind of British Empire aspect to it, if you know what I mean.
0: Yeah. Well, because, I mean... the. the... I mean, the huge part of like the the allure of the book is that it is this fear that the empire is going to cr- crumble, you know, and to actually have that being presented on screen is a really, really nice touch. Hmm.
2: I, think
0: it, I think, I think as well, like right, in, like I mean, in the last in the last twenty years or so, we've seen so many kind of so many stories like this get like modernized and whatever. And it's just nice to see something actually being treated at the at the time that it's supposed to have happened, mm. rather than just see, getting yet another modernization of it. You know, so it's it, it to me it was just really nice to kind of go like, mm, yeah, this is a pure pure adaptation of the book. You know, yeah,
3: and it's not it's not without its modern touches though, because like I mean, in even in the first episode, even though it's kind of the build up episode. There is kind of gender things are mentioned. There's things about marriage. There's things about, there's a quick bit about, um, I think the main character isn't allowed to publish certain stories in the newspaper. Like, yeah. and And not to give away too much, but in episode three, there is a conversation where one character says, is this because of us? Because when we march into places in Africa or Tasmania or somewhere like that, uh, they don't know what we are in our tanks with our guns and that kind of stuff, and they do. They are putting that aspect of it front and center, and I think that's really, really important because that does get a bit lost when you put it in America in the fifties in American rural farmland or that yeah, kind of I, thing.
0: But I, th- I think when um, I think when it comes to uh, to throwing those kind of elements in, it does, It I think with, with adding those kind of elements in. It's one of those things where you have to be very careful in how it's written, Hmm. and I think it's handled quite delicately. They're trying to make it very much these would have been the, you know, the gender political, the gender and racial political issues of the day. Yeah. So it's they're not trying to make it into like a woke. <laughs> um, into like oh yeah woke, yeah woke sci-fi you know and I, I quite I, I think that's a nice it's a nice element because again like I mean when it comes like I mean this is the thing like HG Wells is a very um brief <laughs> writer <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, so there there are these opportunities to f- to flesh out the ideas um that are there and especially when you're trying to you know, when you're trying to adapt something to television, you do need to have things to flesh out your characters. And it makes sense to kind of go in that, like, especially because it's such a charged political time now. People yeah. are, looking, are looking to consume that kind of media. And I think it just helps entrench you in the period that the, that you have characters who, like, it's good, did you see that he, he left his life? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. different woman. Oh, you shouldn't be doing that
3: now. The okay. scandal, the scandal.
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: No, no and, it's, and I do think you hit on a good point there. It is. It has those issues, but it's very subtle. I want to give a shout out to the writer of the series, actually. I think it's Peter Harness. Yeah. He was one of the main writers on uh, Peter Capaldi's run of Doctor Who. And um, he's like he's written some of the most controversial episodes, but they've also got the most some of the most subtle elements to them that I think people miss. And I really like, I don't think he's actually a UK citizen. I think that perspective lends a lot to this adaptation of it. And I think you can tell that it's someone either from one writer or from a production looking at the Great Britain Victorian thing and actually really representing what the original book was about. What if a power greater than the united kingdom the british empire actually raised up how would people react like would you agree with that
0: yeah absolutely absolutely but that's a, i mean that's that that's always been my reading of the book as well is that it's like this nightmare of the
1: empire crumbling by something bigger coming along all right so you're listening to podcast and you're like hey i want to get involved but i'm not in ireland and i don't have time to listen I've well guys listen We've revamped everything, we've made it super easy. Nerd no media, everything. Nerd no media Gmail. Nerd no media on Twitter. Nerd no media on Twitch. Nerd no media across the wall. Everything ...that you can do, you're able to find us... Nerd to know Media. ...NerdToKnowMedia.com is our website... ...just in case you can tune in... ...be the tune-in app... ...and catch us live if you want to... ...type in Bases on Phoenix 92.5 FM... ...and you're able to find us... ...the stream to the show as it's happening live... ...is actually on our website... ...NerdToKnowMedia.com Also, if you haven't got time for that... ...or if you want something a bit more convenient... ...we're on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud... ...all across the board and... If you do want to catch us live when we record the show, because spoilers, we tape the show, we do it live on Twitch. Nerddux, N-E-D-D-U-X, is where you can find my personal Twitch channel, and we stream there, the show, every single Thursday at 9pm. So guys, no excuse not to listen, we're very easy to find. NerdfinoaMedia.com for more information.
4: Download and do it again.
0: Yeah, I, I think that like that, that I think that um well I don't think there's the correct way to read <laughs> two mm. stories, but I yeah. think that is kind of like the correct like um overtone to have with it. That it's like it's this idea that something bigger than the most powerful country on earth. Cool. Yeah, well
3: sorry, you go first, sorry.
0: Sorry, I just finished my point.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's definitely it's in the intentionality. And I did a bit of digging after the last series because I wanted to read the original book and find out more. Apparently, shortly before H.G. Wells wrote that, so uh, an author published a book in which the British Empire was defeated by another you know, human nation on Earth. And the book was torn to shreds by critics because the notion of the British Empire being challenged was so like high concept sci-fi, and then this comes along. You know, that's uh, this was almost feels like a response to that criticism.
0: Yeah, well, that, that I mean, again, like, I mean, you have to kind of transport yourself back to the period it's in. You know, you're you're looking at um, you're looking at a period where France and Germany are in like what seems like a forever war, mm. and are just beating the tar out of each other but neither of them really have an armada or have anything that rivals the that rivals the UK. The yes. Spanish are heavily beaten up at this point. The Russians um the Russians don't re- like the Russians are growing a force, but it's mm-hmm. not really um but it's not really something that can contend with uh, with the uk because it's kind of more of a distance thing at that yeah time. they're trying to be more of an asian power than, yeah. uh, than an european power and so like you know it was, this is one of the things that was happening at that period and so for for people in the uk the idea of losing a war would have been inconceivable and mm. this, again, this is a pre-world war one <laughs> Uh, you
3: beat me to it yeah this is very much like i think the kind of the conversation in the world changed after world war one like suddenly it wasn't tent poles and tadpoles. like you know
0: but i mean like like world war one was like the 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 amount of ways in which world war one changed the idea and the concept of what war was Mm. was massive because the reality was you had like these you had a bunch of Highly, highly prosperous, wealthy nations with technological war machines. Mm. And they were using them against less technologically advanced forces. Yeah. And then when World War War came around, they were all not like evenly matched, but like comparably matched. Mm. So it's like, instead of it being a heavyweight taking on a featherweight, it's a heavyweight taking on another heavyweight, you know? So, when they're hitting, they're hitting with full force, and it's like every side is doing significant damage to the Mm. other, you know. And the everyone was going in with really powerful weapons and terrible tactics, both offensively and defensively. And it just, you know, when you have that, that's what that's what causes a situation where you know, you get a horrific war like World War One.
3: Well, I mean, that's kind of the World War One approach was see Futurama, the Zap Brannigan approach to war.
0: Yeah. Just of, send wave,
3: wave, after wave after wave of men to overload the kill box uh, systems.
0: Because they had a they had a preset kill limit. you
3: know? <laughs> yeah. And that, that speaks to that mentality, like, you know, the sort of, and that's not just Britain now. It would have been a, a lot of kind of places in the world, like, but it speaks to it definitely watching that show yeah. makes you sort of feel that sort of like they do the tripods so well like yeah. i mean it's it's in this day and age it wouldn't take a lot to make you think oh they're superior to early 20th century guns whatever but still there is that even the build-up in episode one to the tripod scope is done so well like the sphere and like, you see the reflection in it. There's just so many mysterious elements to it, you know? Even if you know the story, you feel like you don't know where it's going.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But it's kind of... I mean, I think, I think they paced it really, really well. They're kind of going... Because, like, the way I kind of likened it to, is to the way that I like... I like kind of, like... Not even... It's kind of, like, a horrific theme in in mm. storytelling where, you know, you don't really get a good look at it. And you're yeah. Like, you know, there's that sense of dread of going, am I actually going to see it now? Mm. And, you know, it's like, you know, it's done in almost every good horror film worth salt. everything from Jaws to Alien to, you know, you name it. And they have these kind of beats in it and they kind of, they're taking that approach and it's so good.
3: Yeah. And I won't, I won't say anything about it, but the pacing of the tripods and they do you do get to see the alien eventually but it's my favorite alien design in ages and they pace the reveal of it so well it's i'm really really impressed with how it turned out because you know you're going into the finale and you're rick oh don't drop the ball don't drop the ball and i want to watch it again that's that's all i can say about it i think it's really good i hope i mean i know BCI player isn't available in ireland but i really hope people do get a chance to see this on netflix or something like that eventually
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I enjoyed the hell out of the first episode, but um, unfortunately, more of my time has been taken up by uh, historic materials. Excellent. We're going to segue into that then. What do you think? um i have i i tried reading northern lights when i was a teenager and i just don't like the way that philip Pullman writes
3: same i feel i feel so bad for saying it because loads of my friends it's their favorite book but i just couldn't get into the way it was presented
0: yeah like i mean look i mean i knew at the time the premise was awesome mm. you know i but it's it's just one of those things. Like it's one of the, it's one of the the foibles of literature, isn't it? Like, mm. you can appreciate that there's gonna this is a, that there's a good story in it, but if you don't like the prose, you're screwed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, but- like my dad, like my dad will read any book you put in front of him. Mm. At one point, I put uh, Frank Herbert's *Dune* in front of him, and he mm. said to me, "Within a page, it's like there's no way in hell I'm reading this." Like, <laughs> you know, because he was just like, the, he said, "Like this is," he said, "Like the way he described it was like this is basically sci-fi's version of the Silmarillion. He said, "Like and I hate it. that's a that's a very apt comparison for one page." Yeah, and I was going because I like again, my dad, my dad loves *Lord of the Rings*; it's his favorite book. Mm. So yeah. it's going like yeah, it's like the Silmarillion I was like fair enough. <laughs> like, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's kind of like how I. That's not how I felt about Phil Pullman. I just don't like the. Um, I just don't like his prose. It's kind of like the only way I can describe it. But I mean, the mm. the so I can't speak to the quality of the adaptation mm. uh, that's presented. But the actual story that is presented, I really enjoy. Um, yeah. every week it's solid it kind of plays out like it's an individual chapter so I'm thumbs up for me <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your feeling on it
3: uh it's i will be honest it took me a few weeks to get into it i now i said as i said i've only read the first few chapters of the book as well um i they're putting the world building first which okay. same as the book i initially i found that to be a bit of an obstacle i felt like information was being thrown at you like the main character's parentage and all that kind of stuff. And that would that I feel like that would be more shocking if I if I was into the series already, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But like I, I felt like I was being slightly left out. But at the same time, having seen the Golden Compass film where they did the opposite and streamlined it and simplified it, I can see why they're making the decisions they're doing. I'm into it now. Yeah. It took me until the episode with the polar bear play by Pierce Serafinoics, but I'm yeah. very much into it now and curious to see where it's going.
0: Yeah. That's the other thing I can't get over with this with the show is the the quality of the cast is insane. Yes. Like I mean it it's the first time since Deadwood where I'm watching a show going, Oh, it's that character actor from that thing. Oh, it's that yeah. character from that thing and just constantly saying that for an hour straight. Like yeah. it's awesome. It's so great. And like I mean, I mean again. It's just it's such a such an intimidating cast of like, you know, if you, you know, I mean, like you've got guys from Game of Thrones in there, you've got your man from Hamilton in there, Peter Serafinowicz doing what he does best in voice acting, like, you know. It just
3: yeah, it's great, and actually, shout out to—is it Daphne Keane plays the main character with the golden compass? Like she is holding her weight with like this team of thirty well-established adults, and she's doing great. Like,
0: but I mean, I mean, I I think even in Logan, you really got the sense that like this is. I was
3: wondering—is that the girl from Logan?
0: Yeah. Oh, okay, because I, I was saying that she looks like the girl from Logan, but I
3: genuinely thought she—that the woman in Logan was you know of a uh, sort of Mexican descent was she putting on an accent in her
0: well yeah she had an accent in it and they also had like makeup on it was excellent okay, okay
3: go I'm doubly impressed now yeah I think she's doing great and um yeah you're right I'm liking how they've structured every episode kind of around a location yeah like so like the first episode was all the stuff in the in the college the second one was all the stuff in the villain's lair like it does, it took a while for me to key into it, but now I'm really liking those creative decisions, and I'm very, do you know how long it's running for, actually?
0: Um, I don't actually know how long it's running.
3: Okay, I'd be amazed if it didn't run up to Christmas Day, like because that's probably, like, you know, viewers on a plate I'd, there.
0: I'd say it probably will be running up around that long, I would imagine. Um, I mean, it's it, it, it's playing out really, really well. I kind of... um. I just, I think it just does such a good job of like telling its story and like, you know, kind of running the the race the way it wants to. Mm. Just, I really admire that. I think it's uh, like I think everything that they're putting into it is like turning out really, really well. Yeah, so, yeah,
3: yeah. And actually, I'll give it this as well as War of the Worlds. Actually, now that I mention it, it puts a lot of faith in the viewer to just hang around and wait for things to come together. I find that since streaming became a thing, a yeah. lot of TV shows have become insecure that you're going to turn away. And I quite like the fact that it's treating you with respect and letting you kind of pull it together and figure it out. You know, I haven't seen that in a TV show in a long, long time. Not since maybe, like you said, the early Game of Thrones. Like.
0: Yeah. I, think, I think it's interesting because like there's, there's two kinds of shows that exist now. Mm. You, have the, you have shows that are really afraid they're going to lose your viewership. And you have these shows that are going, oh, I'm just going to tell my story. And, you know, and they just kind of, they don't really um, they're they're just like, they have enough confidence in the quality of the story they're telling that they aren't worried about whether you're going to whether you're going to keep, whether they are going to keep up with it or not. Yeah. They're going, well, you know, we if we lose you now, there's still this, there's still, um, like at least with the BBC shows they are like, going, well, you know, if we lose you now, there still is our actual shows—we have our streaming service for your, for you to fall back onto. Yeah, yeah. A lot of shows are doing like not a, a like every show is doing it, but a lot of shows are, and it's. I mean, it, it's the same kind of confidence that you saw back, you know, in the mid two thousands when DVD box sets were really popular, because you had shows like um like twenty like twenty four started off as a show that was really confident in the story it was telling, mm. but every season it got less and less confident. And that became really, really apparent. Yeah. Like, oh God, are you actually going to stick around for a while we're airing this? Are you, mm. you know? And that really affects the enjoyment people have in the in the show. And like, I mean, when because there's a there's a show BBC half the moment called Gold Digger. I don't know if you're watching it or not.
3: No, no, I haven't. What's the what's the kind of hook of it?
0: The hook of it is like it's this. is a It's this uh, thing of like there's this um woman she's been in an abusive uh abusive relationship for most of for most of her adult life she's getting but she's getting divorced and she's single at 60 years old she meets this young good-looking guy and for whatever reason he's uh he really likes her they get together it gets serious and she show, introduces him to her kids who were all in and around the same age as him. Oh, okay. They all immediately go, he's after your money. Cause she's yeah, yeah, yeah. all that stuff. And the show starts off. The first episode starts off so strongly. Hmm. And the, as the sh- as the series has progressed to this point, it has become less and less confident in itself of the story. It's telling hmm. it's just a case of it's too many episodes in one season but it just really, I mean, when you're saying too many episodes one season and you're only like five or six episodes deep, it's really bad. <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah. And compare that to like, as I was watching all of the Marvel Netflix things, compare that to some of the Netflix series where yep. they just have to hit a 13 episode quota yep. and you can feel them spinning the wheels a bit in the opposite way.
0: Yep. The same thing. It's the same kind of problem. Like, I mean, it's one of those weird things that happens with shows like, uh, um, it was even a thing that I don't know if you ever saw the forty four hundred yes, it, I did, yeah yeah, yeah. the first uh, see, you remember this like the first season was like six episode six episodes mm. and then every season after it was like twelve, and every season after the first one is uh, so laborious because you're like this could have been cut down to six episodes, <laughs> yeah, and it's that thing of like you know, especially with streaming services, I don't understand why we live in a time where we need to have things be a set length, mm. you know, like if a story wants to be 12 episodes long, let it be 12 episodes long. Obviously like, there's mm. budgets and all that kind of stuff, but in terms of like just the raw story itself, like, you know, like the, the amount of money it costs to write a script is negligible now because of Google sheets. Mm. Mm. You know, so like if something's, if, you know, if you have like, if it's a page a minute and you're, and you know you're you're working for bbc that means you're doing 60 pages if after page 300 the story's over you go fine this is uh you go fine this is five episodes long you know i think there has to be that kind of a a confidence to it because what we're seeing a lot of is shows just are padded shows and even films that are just padded for no discernible reason. Yeah. Well, I'm
3: glad you brought up films because the only like, cause I heard about the last Jedi in that like the star Wars eight and star Wars nine to out soon is that part of the reason it ended up being two and a half hours long. Allegedly is yeah. that that two and a half hours is time that they can't play another film in the cinema against it you know do you think it's the same thing with like streaming services and things like if you've committed to 13 episodes of the new stranger things as opposed to six then you're not going to spend time watching six episodes of someone else's content
0: yeah well if if that's what Netflix is concerned about you know what they could do they could make mm. a whole other show <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: that's fair enough <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: i cannot argue with that
0: like, i mean it's their it's their platform for god's sake they could make more shows it's mm. I, you know how is that crazy to think of like yeah I, I i think i didn't even consider that that's why disney would have the runtime be long uh would hit like two plus hours for their show.
3: Well, I mean, that's just basically, that's a, that's only a theory I came up with based on the fact that I think some, like, apparently Disney was strong arming cinemas over getting The Last Jedi and stuff. Like, you know, like they wanted them to only play it during the day as, without anything else, like that kind of thing. Having said that, Ma- The Mandalorian has been whatever length it wants. Like you said, some episodes are half an hour, some episodes are 45 minutes, so... I suppose maybe that's... You've caught the kind of change of the winds there. Yeah.
0: But I think, that, I think that kind of... But again, I think as well, if you, if you hire Werner Herzog, you know, there's a level of like, he's going to do... Werner, Werner Herzog is going to do what he wants to do. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's so, like,
3: yeah, so good on.
0: Hiring David Lynch and going, no, but David... This is a very simple <laughs> two act sit down. <laughs> He's not anymore.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm glad you brought up David Lynch because uh watching the Golden Compass or sorry, Dark Materials T V series comparing to the film is a lot like kind of watching do you ever see the original film of Dune, like
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I love I like i love dune it's a <laughs> crap film but i <laughs> oh i i tried showing it to my girlfriend who loves david lynch mm-hmm. and she, no 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 this. this is david Lynch sci <laughs> fi it's just not meant to be <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah i'd love to see like i'm assuming there was a lot of producer interference on that one like
0: yeah but as well as that it's like he he turned down doing Return of the Jedi to make Dune
3: <laughs> oh god could you imagine that would have destroyed Star Wars it would have been brilliant
0: it would have either destroyed Star Wars or would have made it like you know a whole new scale of legendary
3: yeah I suppose it could have turned it into what Disney tried to make it into an auteur led thing because yeah. like the Empire Strikes Back is very much its own thing not a George lucas like you know so, yeah, imagine there's a parallel world where instead of Jabba the Hutt being a puppet, we had the giant fat man flying around like in Dune. <laughs> oh, or no, as the Emperor. Can you imagine Ian McDermott flying around on wires being obese? Maybe we'll get that in episode nine.
0: We could get that in episode nine. Who knows? Because <laughs> the possibilities are limitless. <laughs> if of, uh, Dune, I don't know if you have been watching the new season of South Park. I haven't had a chance yet. No. How would you raise it? Um, this season has been one of the best ones in, in, has been one of the best seasons in in quite some time. Really? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, what they've done has been pretty unique where they had like a mini arc um, for the first half of the season where the first six mm-hmm. episodes are all around integrity farms. Right. And it's great. Like, uh, uh, Randy goes on this whole journey where he went off to China to, make, to try and make as much money as humanly possible. <laughs> Events led him to killing Winnie the Pooh for the Chinese government. And then eventually he gets his integrity back and he's like, I'm not going to uh, be so obsessed about money and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: okay, I'm, re- I'm really glad you said that because my Stevie is a huge Winnie the Pooh fan and I was about to introduce her to South Park. Yeah. Not now.
0: Not now. <laughs> um, then there was uh, there also by the way their impression of Winnie the Pooh is spot on so, really um, but um, then they did two they've, I've only seen the two episodes after it where the uh, the first one after it was uh, focusing around the PC babies <laughs> and, um, and like a strong woman taking part in a strong woman contest <laughs> so she's she loses to a trans woman who's been trans for like two weeks. And the depiction of this trans woman is basically Macho Man Randy Savage. And, it's- um, and then last week was one for the, it was just called One for the Ladies. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, like Sheila uh, got really, Sheila Kyle's mom got really. Yeah. Sick. And she had to get a fecal transplant, and then suddenly she's like super healthy, and like all the other women are really jealous of her. <laughs> and and um, they start to, for for like the a couple of the boys end up trying like out uh, bribed by uh, by a uh, Jedi fallen order who <laughs> <laughs> so they can do it. Them they can get a, a fecal transplant. And um, you know they get uh, hired to to steal from the source, which is Tom Brady's poo, which is referred to as the spice mélange. <laughs> and basically, everyone decides having internal monologues à la Doom. <laughs>
3: oh, I am hyped! I must confess, I haven't seen South Park since the episode about Randy being Lord, so I'm very interested to get caught back up now.
0: Definitely do. It's so fun. <laughs> Because I love Dune, I was in knots so over the last episode. It's just like every and every, almost every opportunity. It's like the spice. The spice! <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, that's something I always
3: loved about South Park. When they do a genre episode, like something on a specific movie, they really commit to it. Like, do oh. you ever see the heavy metal episode oh, about the cats and the kids getting high and all that kind of stuff?
0: <laughs> They're cheesing.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a cheesy. <laughs> I like the entire art style changes and all that
0: kind of stuff. So, uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, or like when they did uh for Facebook. Yeah, and the Farmville
3: stuff. Oh, God. Amazing.
0: <laughs> I'm out for a whole episode on uh, World of Warcraft.
3: Oh, that's the best one. Yeah, that's kind of the gateway one, isn't it? Because they're, tr- they're trying to become heroes by like, uh, killing as many boars as possible and like putting as, literally as many hours into the day as possible.
0: Yeah, that's so good.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm actually in that situation now in the real world because I've started on Dara's repeated insistence for the past three months. I've started playing Knights of the Old Republic. <laughs> and uh, I've gotten stuck fighting a boss on the first planet, and I've had to just go around finding as many weak enemies and sewers, and then just like waiting until they come back. I get two hours of video game time a week, and this is how I'm spending it.
0: Yeah, and he'll say that that's the that's the right way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <man. laughs>
3: Oh, my God. Uh, here, before we... Because I, are we hitting near the
0: hour threshold now? or Near enough to the hour threshold.
3: Then I think there's been a lot of trailers this week. Do you want to lead the charge on that before we like, we run out of time?
0: Oh, the, there's been two big, 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 big trailers this week. Um, so there's been No Time to Die, the new James Bond film. And... Oh,
3: I haven't seen this trailer yet. Go on, tell me more.
0: So it, it looks real good um, like I mean basically kind of opens up the same way as any other James Bond uh, film does where like you know he's in an Aston he's driving around somewhere sunny uh, like you know, uh, Daniel Craig doing his usual improbable stunts as as we all love to see and you know there just seems like there's a huge chunk of like betrayal and whatnot that happens like right at the beginning of the film which is a bit more unusual <laughs> for james bond yeah yeah i mean the the whole setup for it looks really really unique they're uh, uh, like it looks at the if i'm hoping this is going to be the cap-off for uh craig's run because uh, it looks really, it looks really, really good, but I'm also kind of, go- I'm also ready for his run to end as Bob. I think, to be honest, I
3: think, I mean, he's been kind of foot out the door for it since Skyfall, hasn't he? Like, Yeah. Cool. Well, I mean, the fact that they're introducing a new 00 agent and they made a big splash about it, uh, <laughs> it suspe- suggests they may be going in that way. But yeah, I've really liked, I haven't seen Quantum of Solace, but other than that, I've really enjoyed uh his run as Bond and I just hope that it goes out like on a bang either the size of Skyfall or kind of comparable to it because I think pretty much all of his Bond films have been great to decent. Would you think so?
0: I I have a love hate relationship with his his run. Yeah. I think, I think Casino Royale is excellent. I think Skyfall is one of the best Bond movies ever made. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Um I I found Quantum of Solace really underwhelming. And I was just so disappointed by uh, Spectre.
3: Yeah, I've a I've a love hate relationship with Spectre in particular, but I think it is better than the sum of its parts. It's still directed uh, by oh god, his name escapes me, the American Beauty director. But uh, it's still like well done and very moody. It's just at its worst when it leans on those seventies Bond cliches, you know.
0: I, I um, I, it's one of those things where like I really wrestle with it. Yeah. Uh, but it's, I think it's mainly just because I, I think for me, like Daniel Craig is still you know basically like he's made he's made the the top five a bit easier <laughs> a bit easier than when it was before he joined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're basically going now. Well, okay, it's Sean Connery at the top because he's untouchable. Yeah, and um, it's Daniel Craig for number two for me. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, I really, you know, like. It's one of those things where you go, like, I really hate Roger Moore. <laughs> Even though yeah. I hate him. I hate yeah. him, but I love the, the films that he's in. Yeah, um, Which is really, really, really annoying. Um, whereas, like, I love Timothy Dalton, but Timothy Dalton... I was about to say, I love Timothy Dalton too. But his films are... The, the Bond films he has are pretty crap. So it's like... It's
3: like uh, is- I, I'd, I'd give it a pass to the living daylights I think it's it's. I mean the word has lost all its meaning since The Last Jedi but I do think it actually subverts some Bond stuff pretty well while still being a solid Bond film it has some of the gentle Skyfall qualities to it
0: yeah. and like then there's um, and then there's uh, Brosnan who uh, well he's yeah. 90s <laughs> he's, he's not lazy. and B is all I'll say
3: <laughs> yeah yeah I, I wrestle with my feelings on the Pierce Brosnan ones because more than the other Bond films they feel so 1990s you know
0: I like I I do love um Goldeneye, but mm. I mean Tomorrow Never Dies and um
3: yeah Tomorrow Never Dies Michelle Yeoh again everything comes
0: full circle and like uh, Never dies and um die another day and there was another one there was another one he did. the, world, uh, the world's not enough. Those ones I just could not care less about.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I think well at least with the world is not enough, you've got a stellar cast. Uh your man, the Scottish actor from War of the Worlds, is in that, isn't he? Yeah. Again, yeah. the name escapes me tonight. The chap from train spotting.
0: Robert Carlyle. That's him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's also in the uh, Stargate Universe. No way. Yeah. Yeah, he was. That, uh, okay. that got taken off the air because sci-fi, bu- sci-fi had the rights to wrestling. Um, <laughs> Everything is wrestling. True story. Um, but yeah, like I mean, um, yeah, I'm excited for again. The, it's another Daniel Craig's uh, Daniel Craig 007 film, so I am excited for it. I mean, judging by the trend, I didn't. I liked the first film, then like the second film, mm. the film, then like the fourth film. This is the fifth film, so I should like it fingers
3: crossed I mean it does have that kind of Star Trek movie feel to it where it's like the odd number ones are the good ones and then the even ones they get the same director back and so hopefully I've heard it's a bit of a troubled production on this one so hopefully they don't fall into that you know
0: it's kind of like the opposite to the Star Trek yeah 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 exactly it's like the even ones in Star Trek were good and then yeah, the-
3: yeah exactly
0: are not so good and yeah.
3: the
0: other big trailer was Black Widow.
3: Yes, I have seen this one. What are your initial thoughts?
0: I am more excited for it than I thought it would be. Yeah, Um how I felt about it. Um, it's always really nice to see. Like, I mean, it's such a stupid thing to uh, to get me the to, po- to get me excited about it. But hmm. I have uh, David Harbour. in it Yes, as KG Beast, and I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm <laughs> sold. This is. <laughs> 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 Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, I think I mean I, I'm I'm still a bit lost on wha- where when this film is set for the character, um, for Black Widow. I'm guessing it's still a prequel, but it's one of those things where like I really don't know what <laughs> is actu- when this is actually set. I imagine that's
3: deliberate, though, like because I mean. I imagine it's like my guess is it's either set in the, the five year window between Endgame and itself, yeah. um, or it's in the past in order to set up a new Black Widow character in the Marvel universe or something like that. Because they definitely seem to be going in that ascendant young Avengers type thing with Spider Man, you know, and yeah. the new Thor and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, I could see that. But yeah, like I mean, it looks really exciting. It looks like a lot of fun, um, and yeah, I think they probably are setting up to have her um, her sister play. Yeah, her, um, uh, to play the new um, Black Widow, which would be fine. I mean, it, it's probably one of the better moves they could make rather than having it be a bit. I don't know, uh, just having it be like a prequel for the sake of doing a prequel. Yeah,
3: especially since I know there was a Spider Man homecoming or not far from home. But like this feels like the first big Marvel thing after like, you know, Endgame stole all the records. So you'd hope it'd be like a good foot forward, you know? And it's certainly an unusual one to go. It's not like Guardians 3 or something like that.
0: Yeah, well I I think as well for this um for this phase, they they seem to be really just kind of going right. So we're gonna just do A bunch of different stuff now Mm. kind of because i think they're they're kind of going well what we what we set up to set out to do with the first three phases is something that people are going to be tired of yeah now it's just about kind of playing some smaller scale more intimate stories and hopefully that's what they go for i kind of at this at this point now, I really don't want to see large scale superhero films. I feel like mm-hmm. the last three phases kind of gave kind of gave me my foot fill of that.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's you're right, like, because like Endgame was so big by design that like mm-hmm. if you go to like funnily enough, during Spider Man Far From Home, I kinda I loved the little character bits and find found myself getting exhausted by Fighting a giant water monster by the uh, bigger than a city, like so. I think you're right. I think Blackwood is a good small one, and like especially since there's so much Disney Plus, like Falcon, Loki, all that kind of stuff. There isn't pressure to start seeding Galactus or something like that. You know, be nice to just do a few films like in Phase One.
0: Yeah, but it's. I think. Um, I think as well. Like, I mean, I really look at Far From Home as being like an epilogue to the whole. Yeah. Uh, add to the whole like first three phases where you're just kind of going, okay, this is like a this is us kind of just getting the last couple of things tied up before Mm. and um, yeah, like I mean, I think them starting off with this is probably like the best move because it's kind of like you know, it's kind of like the way that Iron Man was the best way to start the whole thing because it's, it's. you know, it's kind of going well. Like, who really knows or cares about Iron Man? It was a it was a feeling people had in two thousand and eight, which is crazy. Yeah, but people people genuinely did. People were like, "I don't care about Iron Man, so I'm not going to see an Iron Man film. I'm going to wait for Incredible Hulk." They said, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Which, like, I mean, now you go like, how the hell did people feel that way? But people did. not
3: but i mean it's worth pointing out that Iron Man came out in the shadow of not just the Dark Knight but Hellboy too. It was the underdog back in its day like
0: i mean it came out like i mean that came out in April two thousand and eight mm-hmm. and like it was I mean it was just one of those things where people were like people were so excited for Dark Knight. Hellboy had its fan base mm-hmm. and, I mean that's why they had bigger summer releases but I mean, people came, like people were coming out of Iron Man, especially because like almost you look at all the the Marvel films that had come out earlier in that decade. You know, Spider Man Three re- was only like three years previous. a yeah. bad taste in people's mouths. You had um, like X Men. I think X Men Origins came out before
3: X Men Origins. Wolverine was well out by that point.
0: Yeah. Like and then you you also had like X Men three like you had two bad X Men movies, mm. so people were like and then there was the Fantastic Four films which were also really poor, mm. and like screw Marvel, <laughs> <laughs> like this was the yeah. people like outside like people hadn't seen a good Marvel movie since Blade, you
3: know oh yeah God and he's coming back soon too
0: yeah but people were saying screw this we're not interested and yeah. And like people were go- coming out of Iron Man going, wow, it was really good, and you know what? It's probably the best comic book movie I've ever seen. Yeah, and actually,
3: funnily enough, I did a series for Geek Ireland looking back at the earliest Marvels right before uh, Infinity War came out, and watching Iron Man again, without those nostalgia goggles on, you can feel it kind of sending up the Marvel tropes. Like He's that big speech about like how, if I was a superhero, I'd have this girlfriend at home who was worried, and but would secretly be proud of me and like all that kind of stuff, hinting at the double identity. You can feel it as a response to that kind of film in its time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And like it, um, I mean that that was the thing though. Like it was just it caught people by surprise. It was a, a sleeper hit, like. Mm. And as well as that, like, people like. I mean, you also had people going, oh, "Robert Downey Jr. Well, what's he done? He's a watcher.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like
0: you know. And then the film came out, and people were like, "Oh my god!" Like you know, people, they, I mean, people were just really shocked by how good it was. And I mean, like now, if you, like you look back on it now, and you go, "Yeah, it's a good film." But I mean, people were insane thinking it's one of the best comic book movies ever made. Yeah, <laughs> well, people were saying because they were that pleased by it. And to be honest, it says more about like how bad comic book movies were at the time. Superman. Yeah. Or- out around that same time too, and that was you know, it wasn't the worst Superman movie.
3: I, I As a love letter to the franchise, I thought it was nice and quaint. Yeah. I, I liked it for what it was. I
0: thought it was a nice love letter to the, to the, uh, to the original films, right up until he lifted up a kryptonite island. And like, mm.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Superman Returns, it feels like they had an emotion they wanted to convey, but not a story, yeah.
0: necessarily. yeah. And, like, yeah, that really came across. Um, it's, like, the exact opposite problem of, um, of Man of Steel, which had a story to tell, but didn't <laughs> have an emotion to convey. They didn't have a
3: Superman. I love the main actor in that, but, like, uh, oh, God.
0: He didn't feel like Superman until, you, until uh, Justice League, and then you're going, my God, where was this guy for so long? Yeah,
3: exactly. Like, it's... Um,
0: like, Henry Cavill was so good like, like when he finally got to play uh, Superman he was so good and it. it's the same thing as like when Ben Affleck finally got to play Batman he was so good but it's just like it ju- you just spent so long with them not playing the characters properly
3: yeah it's like I mean there is something to be said for challenging stereotypes about the characters but they went so far yeah. that they're like unrecognizable you know
0: but I mean, like people, I mean, like uh, the detractors, Anyway, to the representation of Batman was that it was, um, you know, it was like Frank Miller's Batman from Bat- from All Star Batman and Robin, where it's like, oh, this is a homeless person who has stolen <laughs> his identity, and, is- <laughs> and you know, the, that was pe- that was like people's reaction to him. In uh, in *Dawn of Justice*, and it's the same thing with like Superman, where they're going like, "This is this is not Clark Kent, this is not Superman. Mm. What are you doing?" Like, you know, it's uh, and it's yeah, and it's so funny
3: like to jump from one helicopter to another. It feels like they wouldn't have had that problem if they just kept Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Batman. Like, you could have Batman be Superman be the sequel to the Dark Knight series, and have him wrestling with. How to be his new Batman and maybe he goes too violent and then Superman turns up. There's a lot you could do with that and then keep the goodwill of that series and they just didn't for some reason.
0: Yeah, but this this is like a uh this is one of the like but there's like so many different things they could and could have done or should have done because there's just so many different ways that they made mistakes. Mm. You know? Like, I mean, for like for God's sake, they had like the You've got a, you've got a, you've got a, you've got two films with like one of the most, like with one of the most like blatant for hope, and yeah. a washed-out grey film. <laughs> <laughs> how, how can you miss the mark this clearly? You know, and it's so
3: funny because you think of like the Star Wars films where they keep firing directors halfway through production on a film and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't want to like put all the blame on one person because like movies aren't made that well, but still, they let Zack Snyder do three movies in a row. Like,
0: yeah, it's like I mean, the thing is as well is that like they they let Zack Snyder do three films in a row. They also let they also let David Goyer do those films like write screenplays for those films. Hmm. Despite the fact that like he is shown through almost every single. Interview he's done since 2000 that he really doesn't give a crap about the fan base that's basically kept him employed. Like, <laughs> you know? oh yeah, he's the writer from Blade as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he wrote like he. This is the thing. Like, uh, Goyer wrote Blade. He wrote Dark City. He's written a bunch of uh, a bunch of Call of Duty games. Um, he had written, um, he had written a few other comic book films as well before he got to batman begins mm. and he then like and then in like 2009 he deci- he decided he was like they were asking if they he was asking an in interview if like he thought there would ever be uh it's like what like if there would ever be a like a just like movie with martian manhunter and other lesser-known characters he said like mm-hmm. the only people who know who that, those characters are people who've never had sex it's like these jesus
3: and like i find goyer fascinating in the i mean blade trinity is fascinating in and of itself but um it's like he's only as good as the director is like he wrote the dark knight and like the batman versus superman it's Just just how can you how can you have both of those and have the quality just shoot up and down you know
2: well,
0: here's the thing. Never forget that when he, in the in the initial draft for Blade, Demagro was supposed to be a tornado of blood. Yes. And then the effects looked terrible, so they turned it into a martial arts fight. <laughs> and as everyone knows, that turned out really poorly, didn't it? Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Oh, my God. He only gets cut in half and flies up in the air with the blood on the Microsoft paint effects.
4: Yeah.
0: And, like... You know, that's what they did. Like, that's what they, like, I mean, again, like, they, that turned out much better than the, what they had initially planned on doing, where it was going to have, like, a bunch of terrible green screen. (laughs) Yeah. Like, this is the thing. Like, yeah, like, Goyer, when he, when you have him, when you have him have a questionable director, Mm -hmm. you get something like Man of Steel. When you give him a good director, like, (laughs) like, uh, Oh, God, I'm blanking on his name. Um, Zack Snyder? When you, when you give him a good director, like... Um, uh, oh, Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan. You get something like Batman Begins in The Dark Knight, and even then, with his best effort, you could still end up having a bit of a stinker, like in uh, The Dark Knight Rises. You
3: know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, The Dark Knight Rises. Like I love it, but it definitely deserves an episode of its own to discuss.
0: You know, and this is the thing, like, it just... um. It, it's just so disappointing, but it it does come down to like one of the things that like happens a lot with writers too is like you can't like as much as it's easy to blame them for certain things when it comes to story. It is worth also being uh, being aware that like directors can basically throw out a screenplay after it's written and go, I'm going to just take this idea from it and screw the rest of it. <clears throat> and this happens really frequently to the point where like um, I, I can't I remember seeing I, I can't think of there was a film um, I think it was like American Ultra and like Max Landis was asked what he thought of the what was put, he said like the bits that the bits that I wrote I liked
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was watching that on Film 4 the other day yeah I mean this is why I mean it's immature I know I kind of pick on Zack Snyder a lot yeah. but like so much goes into a film that you don't know who did this and who did what and all that kind of stuff the only reason I kind of land on Snyder is that all his films are so totally consistent yeah quality consistent that I can't help but think yeah. these are all his creative decisions you know
0: yeah but it's also like I mean one of the things that I always kind of uh, pointed out was, was like an interesting thing is like you know even uh, like joss whedon was at, like when he was asked about alien resurrection, he literally blamed everything that wasn't him under the sun for why that film was bad really he- literally, he literally, he said he the actors delivered the lines wrong, he said that they were shot wrong <laughs> everything like everything under the sun was everyone else's fault, and you're like so he's like okay, Joss.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, well, you know, I wouldn't go to so far as agree with, with everything he said there, but I can definitely watching Alien Resurrection. It does feel like a proto Firefly, where the cast and crew don't aren't aware of doing a comedy.
0: Yeah, the one of the big problems as well, though, with it for me is just like, okay, so you can say that all these things are wrong, Joss, but like you have to, like if you're saying that they're that they said their lines wrong, you're also admitting that you wrote their lines, which means. <laughs> actually adhere to your script which didn't make a lick of fucking sense so <laughs> you know it's one of those things where I go well you know that's a that's a bit of a problem uh, but yeah like uh, the one last kind of topic I want to talk, to talk about before we finish up is um, there was an interesting stat that came out this week uh, regarding Netflix and it's movie uh, catalog so yeah, oh yeah there has been a bit of it's been reported there's been a bit of a shrink in the library size for their catalog um since 2014 that catalog size has dropped by 40 percent wow yeah but i mean hey look i mean if you actually pay attention to um if you paying attention to netflix and you use it quite avidly you would pretty you'd be pretty aware of this like it, um, like you know the current size of the, the titles that are available in uh, the UK and Ireland is like just under 4,000 titles you know it's like 3,700 so like it's you know which like, sounds like a lot it can sound like a lot of titles it's certainly more than you'll get through but you know like that also means that you're talking about there being about <laughs> you know you're talking about there being a about 1,800 films are thereabouts that have just disappeared from its its catalogue over the last five years, which is pretty crazy. Yeah,
3: actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I went through Netflix looking for Christmas films and I didn't find much. I saw Claws, although I didn't know. I didn't have your recommendation there. But, like, The Grinch is gone and, like, uh, jingle all the way is gone and like there aren't really any good classics up there is this because of like disney plus and amazon and like buying up their content or what's the explanation like
0: what's the most likely explanation it's more that the there's much more competition in that space now you know like i mean you have like you've got your big your big three basically now which is netflix amazon prime and disney plus in the states but then you also have stuff like uh, you also have stuff like Now TV and um oh like what was it love film and a few others that mm-hmm. have been around for a while and, like each one of them is taking up real estate and taking up licensed real estate. So is it shocking that that we're uh, seeing all of the that it's harder and harder to find the films you want to watch? Yeah, absolutely. But that's you know, like. The the irony is is that, like, you know, this is driving people back to piracy.
3: Oh, yeah. Like, it boggles my mind that, like, you know, the Mandalorian... Like, sorry, every time that Dara isn't here and every time I pick, pick up a Star Wars thing, I expect him to jump in. Uh, uh, it boggles my mind that the Mandalorian is Disney's big push and it's not legally available in Europe, you know?
0: But it's... I mean, this is, like... Uh this is kind of like the hubris of it is like, you know, it's not, um, but there's like, there's a bunch of these kind of um, reports that have come out that like, not just like about the the library size, but also quality size and comparing it to piracy. And like there was a report done with uh, windows machines and people using Amazon prime. And if, with certain monitor sizes, you were able to use a four K, but the encryption on Amazon Prime won't wouldn't actually allow them to play it <laughs> comfortably. <laughs> that is mad. Yeah. So you know what those people did? What? Pirated. Of course. <laughs> and play it, they could just play it as a local file and not have any issues. And it's like, well. Like, fair enough. Like, I mean, look, you know, the re- like the reality is, is that like any, like almost anyone who's ever like the only, like people will go, well, look, you, you should, if, uh, if it's not available, you shouldn't be stealing it. And the argument for it is like, look, this isn't so much about the idea of saying it's okay to steal it. It's more that like, if your distribution system allows it to be easier to steal something, that's a problem with your distribution system. It's yeah,
3: different. yeah, yeah, exactly like
0: like if like if you if you've created an environment where it's easier for someone to steal than it is for someone to do something legally mm-hmm. you uh, you've caused your own issues here. It's like um, there was that um there was a story that came out recently about oh, I'm going to have to pull this up. There was a a video game that uh, people were uh, that people were trying to uh, play that had bit, that had um, uh, that had DRM on it,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and oh, the DRM had actually expired, so people couldn't play it anymore.
3: Oh, is this the Tron game?
0: Yeah, Tron. That's the one. And the DRM had actually expired, <laughs> so they couldn't play it. So the only options for people to play it is to steal it, <laughs> like. <laughs> Like, I mean, to be honest, even
3: now, the sort of digital frontier is still kind of the Wild West. There's talk of, like, you know, gaming, streaming services and all that kind of stuff. But the fact is, no one will know how any of this works practically until it exists. And we're kind of hitting that frontier now.
0: We're seeing the beginning of that with Stadia, which has been pretty disastrous Based off of the initial reviews, mm. <laughs> so where like if you're playing, if you're playing on like a PC through Stadia, the signal lag between your uh, between your controller or between your keyboard and mouse and Stadia is so bad that most games are unplayable. Uh, really, I mean, like I saw uh, footage from I think from the New York Times. Where they had someone testing it, the 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 input lag was about five seconds.
3: Jesus, like
0: just for hitting a button. Just so imagine hitting space bar to jump. <laughs> five seconds later, your character jumps. You know, you use your mouse to look around, and like, yeah, the signal time is just like the signal lag was horrific.
3: Oh my god, I could not even play that
0: no but it's unplayable it's literally unplayable the only thing you could play would be something like monkey island
3: oh yeah so i can see how that would work yeah or like a turn-based thing
0: but i mean even then some turn-based games aren't that forgiving like oh yeah. so, you know like it. it's just one of those things where like it's just not um outside of something that's like that like low paced you're in a lot of trouble with game with a lot of video games so like it, it's just one of those things like yeah we are at the beginning we're still going to see it but i mean we're also going to need to see like the standards for like network speeds like rapidly you know like we live, we live in a country right now that i mean like eight percent of the of households in ireland have access to one gigabit lines you know like and that number is going to slowly creep up but i mean eight percent is pretty meager when you consider the when you consider the size of the commentary that's like you're talking about like a very small amount of areas that can actually get that kind of internet speed
3: yeah at least we have that like i mean you could imagine some parts of america where the internet is run by like different fiefdoms that can dictate their own speed and that kind of stuff. Like, like you couldn't play a game at all.
0: This is a big issue in in the US because, like, basically the the companies there have carved up the have carved up the uh, the entire country and going. Mm-hmm. I run Texas. I run the I run North Texas. You run South Texas. You know that kind of shit, and it it just goes on like. It's and like I I think I, I think it, we will probably see slowly but surely a demand grow to have faster internet speed. But I mean, it's only really going to be from gamers because, like, I mean, once for the average person, when it comes to streaming, you don't really need anything faster than a hundred meg. Right. You know, like, and that's all people are going to do. And even then, like, that's only for video streaming. If you all you're going to do is stream on Spotify, you like. You're probably talking about like 50 meg being enough to buffer a song, like, you know, comfortably.
3: Well, I mean, I don't know much about the kind of specifics of how the internet works and all that, but I do know enough to know that the demands being put on the output of internet on smartphones, all the apps running, and as you say, streaming becomes more demanding, and as you get multiple streaming services, the need will grow faster. Then the internet output will catch up with us, wouldn't I think?
0: Yeah, I mean the the reality is that like when it comes to what the internet is, it's basically just cables that you can't see, Mm. and uh, (laughs) like I mean when it comes to it, like the this like this is a heavy amount of infrastructure, and like it's you know it's becoming like. Like, it's getting to the point now where it's kind of seen as, like, a first world human right. Mm. You know, where people are going, like, it's about as important as free education.
3: Wow. Well, yeah, it's because I can't, like, it's funny enough, I'm putting together a Christmas show with my class in Tala, and one of the scenes they have is, what if all the phones disappeared overnight? And you could turn that into the internet just as easily. Like, you know, things would fall apart.
0: The reality is, the internet is Skynet. you know, it's worth being aware that that's what it is. Mm. Like, I mean, yeah, this stuff, it'll take a very long time for us to get this infrastructure put in place. But if, I mean, like if things went, if things went away tomorrow, like, there's no internet, there's no way for us to upload this show. Mm. Like, first of all, first and foremost, I'm out of a job. (laughs) (laughs) Network security company. So I'm out. pretty much immediately but like and you're gonna see you would see a lot of like it jobs like basically disappear almost instantaneously if it's like there's no internet and it's not coming back you know that would happen like when it i mean the the reality is is that like the world becomes a much bigger place once you take away phones and once you take away Twitter and you take away YouTube, it becomes a much bigger place. It becomes like, I mean, the need for en- encyclopedias returns mm. almost instantaneous. <laughs> having, like, having books and having, like people would, have to, would probably be much more likely to use their local libraries again for, for just about everything in terms of like learning information. You'd see print media make a massive, massive resurgence almost immediately because that, that, you know, it's, it's not that much of a reversion at this point because we haven't lost that much ground, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, every year, like, you know, every year we lose more and more to the digital space because it just becomes more and more inclusive, you know? Um, But it is one of those things where it is going to be very, it, like, it, I think when, I think seeing how, like our needs for technology grow It'll be interesting to see how like i respond to it well what do you think
3: would like uh i mean you've kind of hit on the nail on the head there but like what else do you think would happen overnight if like the internet just disappeared like do you think there'd be a mass panic or do you think yeah just
0: I mean, guess absolutely yeah. Like I mean, I. Funnily enough, I think the South Park episode on it is like, pretty accurate to what the reaction would be.
3: Very ahead of its time. We'd all go grapes of wrath. Like,
0: yeah, it's not even like we'd go grapes of wrath. It's like, like I mean, I will, like there's more there's more internet relationships existing now than there was when I was a teenager. Hmm. You know? like uh, you also have a bunch of people who their idea of starting to date someone. Is swiping right, mm. you know, and them having to learn a whole new set of social cues and social and like social interaction completely change. The idea that they, like, you know, have a whole generation of people who literally have not lived with, like, cannot remember a time when they wouldn't have had a social network profile and them going, Well, I can't see what my friend is doing on holidays you know like and that would kind of like that that would definitely like cause like if not like a panic it would cause like an anxiety Yeah, you know? mm. and I, I think that kind of like i think i think for certain generations it would not be i think the older you skew it the less of an impact it would be because mm. you know, the, the be able to oh, i remember this a lot faster like for me I vaguely remember buying magazines <laughs> <laughs> they still exist you know I know they do but I vaguely remember it you know <laughs> and I can't fathom the kind of people who buy magazines in this day and age you know
3: I must confess the odd time I do I have nowhere to put them and that just like yeah that just speaks to how everything's become online now
0: absolutely but it's i mean this is the thing like i think you know i think it's more like people i think people in their like in their early 30s and then skewing yo- any younger than that is like the group where you're gonna go this is the group that's gonna panic and this yeah. is the group that's gonna really have difficulties with it you know i think especially imagine like kids under 10 who are just used to YouTube and Netflix being a thing, yeah, and, and being YouTube. available all the time, and then that just like evaporating, you know, that would be a that would be a challenge for their parents too, who would probably just be used to going, "I just watch YouTube," Shut yeah, and that's gone. It's like, oh god. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I mean, like, I, I'm not. A, I'm not currently aware of like how heavily the like internet stuff is used in primary or secondary education, but I know in third level.
3: Oh, every I, I work in schools. Every classroom has like is teched up and has those like interactive whiteboards and all that kind of stuff. Okay, it would all fall apart very quickly.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like when Lisa stole the teacher's edition
3: yeah yeah exactly like calm blue ocean calm blue ocean calm blue ocean
0: <laughs> about the, the times tables <laughs> does anyone have a calculator oh my god
2: <laughs> <laughs> but that's,
0: that's yeah I mean that's very much like that's very much like the dismal uh, outlook that there would be for the for the future mm if it did happen, but it's like, I think people would be. I think you'd be surprised how quickly people would get back on track and go. Mm-hmm. This is how things used to be. This is fine. Yeah, you know.
3: And then they'd be making jokes about how much we're on the internet in a movie in 30 years' time and that kind of stuff.
0: Totally, and people talking about it being the future. Absolutely, people. Mm-hmm. That would be one. That would be sad. Like, I mean, the um. I don't know if um, if you've ever had a situation where you've lo- where you've lost your phone, or you've had like, or you've been without internet for a long time. Um, but I'm happened- ashamed
3: to say I actually can't think of one.
0: Yeah, it happened to me uh, about five or six years ago, where on a night out I had lost my phone, and I was staying uh, with my dad for the week in a place that he just started renting in, so he didn't have internet. So we didn't have. Like, so all there was, was just, and that's it. I didn't didn't have a wristwatch, so I couldn't tell the time. (laughs) (laughs) It was just news and that's kind of it. And yeah, I was, so I had, and I was in that situation for about a week before I got my phone back and by the time I got my phone back, I was almost going, do I even want this now? I'm Mm. not having it, (laughs) You know? And then as soon as I had the phone back, back, just straight away, back into the... Like you
3: say, it adjusts very quickly, like, or you readjust.
0: You readjust surprisingly quickly. and Kind of, when you have that time away from it, you're like, God, I really do use this the whole time now. (laughs) but i mean that's it's it's the world we live in you know like i mean i'm noticing like um like i got rid of my facebook recently and i I don't even i don't even miss the thing i don't don't have it i've gone that long without, without having it like but it's one of those things where like i still I still need to use Reddit. I still need to like do other things online, but it's it's just it's a strange seeing like how the it's a strange seeing how much of like the landscape is changing now. Mm-hmm. And but I mean I'm becoming increasingly more how increasingly more dependent everyone seems to be on it. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm.
3: Well, actually, to one last big question because uh, full disclosure, I'm currently in my garden and I'm getting a bit cold. Uh, where what, do you see like a big change coming up, like a next advancement in phone technology, or even just our dependence on the internet? What do you see as like being the next thing in the currents?
0: I think um, I think the next big thing to come down the line is going to be. Um, I don't, to be honest, in terms of technology, I think it's where it's kind of like it's hit a standard for now. Um I think in terms of like the innovation and whatever I think we've kind of hit a plateau. Because mm. if you look at like if you look at smartphones now versus smartphones 10 years ago. The only thing that's improved is how useful they are.
4: Mm.
0: They I mean in terms of like the UI and whatever they're pretty much the same. There has, there isn't really anything we have today in smartphones that we didn't have 10 years ago Um, the big change is that um, the the well how do I put this like the tech savviness of political leaders is starting to catch up with the tech savvy in uh, business and that's going to be, you know, unless uh, the tech savvy in the business world are aware of this, that's going to, there's going to be a very, unless they're, if they're burying the head in the sand about that, they're in for a very, very rude awakening because I know the EU is building their case. I know the US is building their case. I believe Australia and Canada are also building their case for antitrust for the three biggest tech companies in the world being Facebook, uh, Google, and Amazon.
3: Yeah, well, that's kind of been on the winds for a while now, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and if antitrust goes through, seeing how the dust settles from that is going to be the biggest, uh, it's going to be one of the biggest cases, uh, one of the biggest business cases since Rockefeller lost oil. Wow. Like Rockefeller, like Rockefeller losing oil changed the political landscape of America. Mm. And we're talking a global scale now. So (laughs) this is going to be huge.
3: Or like the the cigarette companies getting taxed and like putting, like being forced to actually like tell the truth. Yeah. The
0: the thing is like, I mean, the tobacco industry Mm -hmm. is like compared to oil is small potatoes. Even at the height of its usage with small businesses, it's um, when it comes to the when it comes to the um, like the tobacco industry would be more like it would be more, like the the only the closest analog to it now is the meat industry. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, which is like crazy because it's you know because like the main reason why people are looking looking really hard at the meat industry right now is because. There are environmental effects that people want to mitigate, and there are also health effects of it that people want to mitigate too. And you are seeing people coming out with studies going, "That's better, let's do the carnivore diet, blah, blah blah blah," and it's it's interesting. It's a very interesting time to look at those kind of uh, to look at those uh, kind of uh, studies being done because. You know, one of the uh one of the big negatives from the kind of search engine that Google has promoted is that confirmation bias has never been harder to shake. Because it's easier to get it's easier to find stuff that supports your worldview than it is to find stuff that doesn't. <clears throat> you know? And it's only like if you're if you're coming into a topic that you haven't really touched on before, that's you're neutral on, it's a lot easier to kind of weigh up where you stand on it. Like, um,
3: well, I mean, all this happens subconsciously, I imagine.
0: Yeah, but I mean, when you're coming into, if you're like, if you're coming into a topic where you're completely uneducated, your you have your your digital profile hasn't been so heavily established that you. <laughs> easily see information that either side is talking about on certain topics. Like for example, I only started getting into the whole, uh, the whole uh, meat uh, industry uh, stuff in the last month or so. So I'm getting loads of crap saying, <laughs> the <that>, uh, <laughs> worst thing since tobacco. <laughs> i also seeing people going, that stuff is like overinflated. And it's like, well, who do I believe? And, you know like i I have my own i i have my own estimation made up of it, but it's something I'm not really i'm also not like a diet, not a nutritionist, so it's not something i'm going to i said dietitian. which one's the protected term I'm neither anyway yeah yeah but like i'm I'm not that so I'm not going to say to people oh you should you should you should believe this study and not that study because I don't know but how from the from what I've read. I have a conclusion, but I'm not going to say it I don't like. I'm I'm not an expert in that field, but so really know. like, and I'm not seeing. It's not like it's not like climate science where people in that agree so unanimously <laughs> on uh, um, on uh, stuff like climate change that it makes it a lot easier to go. Okay, well, I it kind. It's easier to not sit on the fence on this one, you know?
3: Yeah, but being but everyone having access to the internet allows them to kind of pick and choose what their reality is, you know? Like, even I, I would, like, seek out certain news outlets and that kind of stuff. Like, I think we all kind of fall into that.
0: But it's, I mean, it's one of those things now where, it's like, even the idea of going, oh, you pick and choose is kind of misguided because it's actually hard to even pick and choose. Sometimes you just, like... You know, like uh, I know that like the that back when it was announced that Jodie Whittaker was going to play Doctor Who, that like backlash to it. So, so if you're following a bunch of, if you're following a bunch of uh, MRA um, sites, the chances of you seeing a positive slant on Jodie getting that role is. Next to next to non-existent, you're just not going to get a dissent to your view in that case. Or you know, you could go the whole you could go the whole other side and be like, you know, like maybe not even like maybe not as extreme as like a rad fem, but you know, still like on the staunch feminist side. The chances of you seeing an article that's like bringing up legitimate arguments for why, um, for why Jodie getting that role is bad. Really slim, and you're not even picking and choosing it that in that regard.
3: Oh, I see. The algorithms have kind of done it for you,
0: yeah, because they're kind of going, Well, this is the stuff that you want. so you're not even like you've got like your illusion to choice is like massive because you're looking at like your you're because I mean, how many times have you done a Google search in the last in the last week and you've had to go to page two? Hmm. How many times in the last week have you had to do a Google search and you had to go past? First five results. It doesn't happen often, no. Well, but this is the thing. It's like the the machine is designed. But like, if you know, when it comes to what people are searching for, and especially when it comes to stuff that's politicized, or it's especially when it's politicized, or especially stuff that's like where there's room for debate, you're gonna see thing. You're not gonna see information. That um, that's going to counter to the profile that that place like Google have set for you. It's just not going to happen unless you're trying really hard to search for things that, that uh, thinks you don't want to see. You know. And it's- well, then,
3: do you see this being the new norm, or do you see this being challenged in the future? Or-
0: being challenged because, again, it's one of the things that like these companies are getting. Get it, again, as political tech savviness increases, these questions are being asked of them more and more. And you saw, it, like, you saw it with with uh, Mark Zuckerberg, where they're asked, like, do you think that, like, um, do you like where he was asked, do you think it's acceptable to allow um, political ads on your platform? And he, was, he basically answered that in a way where he was saying, well, you know, I don't agree with Holocaust denial, but someone could have that as an earnestly held belief. So I shouldn't really be be dictating to them that, they, that they're that – I shouldn't be dictating to them about it. And they go like, well, what if that person has an ad up? Hmm. And he's like, well, I don't see that as a political thing. It's like – Well, of course it is. Well, again, this is one of the things that, like, that uh, some fan sitters want to say is that, like, having an opinion like that isn't political because it's more of a historical. Yeah. Thing. And it was. There was even a uh, Sasha Baron Cohen put him on blast for that, going like, literally, the 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 Holocaust is a is a documented historical fact. The only people who deny it have an agenda. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. To say that that's something you're going to defend people having an opinion over is insane. Like, you know, people can agree and disagree about abortion. You can't agree and disagree about the Holocaust, you know? Like, people can agree and disagree about the extent to which which humans are responsible for climate change, but you can't deny that climate change isn't happening. Like, you know, like these are the kind of things that like people are trying to like make points about and increasingly, increasingly places like Facebook and Google are trying very hard to be like, well, we, you know, we're just trying to make money and that like this is the easiest way to do it. And you're like, well, no, because what you're doing is irresponsible. Yeah,
3: and it does kind of lead back into that sort of self-affirmating bias thing. And it's like, again, with the internet being the way it is, you can feel something as a fact and then almost decide it's a fact. There aren't as many checks and balances as there used to be.
0: No, absolutely not. But it's also like, you know, um, one of the interesting ideas that's come up is that people are going, well, do people have a right to an opinion? And most people are saying, well, yeah, they do. But what they don't have a right to is a platform. Yes. You know, and people are like, well, that's infringing on their freedom of speech. It's like, well, everyone has a right to a freedom of speech, but that doesn't mean that you have a freedom that like that doesn't mean that like uh, you have a right to have a newsletter. Like, (laughs) you know, it's the same uh, to the period where where people had the printing press if you had a printing press, you could do whatever the hell, you could print whatever the hell you wanted. But it didn't mean that people had to read it. Yeah, yeah. And it's the same thing now where people can go, well, let us reject your opinion on this. And, you know, no one would have said, like, if if someone got so annoyed at someone's publication that they destroyed that person's printing press, they'd get charged with, destru- with destruction of property. But no one would be saying that they were infringing on their on their, uh, freedom of speech. You know?
3: Hmm.
0: and it's the same thing here
3: well I mean no one ever anticipated that everyone would have a platform like this
0: no no the, no, no one ever
3: I mean ever. we're making a podcast right now
0: yeah <laughs> you know, thing, like, no one has to listen to
3: mm-hmm.
0: God, this is, oh no they do they do
3: <laughs> they I'm, plug- I'm plugging us right now they do
2: they'll be compelled to
0: listen <laughs> um okay. Um, but yeah like I mean I think I don't know how we got here <laughs>
3: <laughs> we jumped onto the political helicopter Jesus I had Dara pegged as like the controversial one and you've upstaged him in the one week he took off yep. what <laughs> right I better get back to my little one but before we wrap is there anything you want to plug um,
0: I do not have anything to plug this week I am afraid how about you
3: Uh, if you haven't already I'd say if you can track it down check out uh, The War of the Worlds the BBC version I love it I hope it doesn't get swept under the carpet by uh, it's the dark material success although it's very very good and just uh, check out my articles on Geek Ireland if you can Uh, there's another Nerding with Children coming out this week uh, and we've gotten some lovely responses and the more clicks I get the more I'll keep doing I love doing it so please check it out Nerding with Children
0: Awesome. okay well I guess that will leave it for this week on this super long <laughs> <political> <laughs> uh, oh
3: wait actually before we go actually I do have one plug actually uh, it looks like we are getting some representatives from Shuricon on most likely next week uh, keep an eye on our Facebook page our media all that kind of stuff we'll let you know more about that for our third special guest episode and I'm very excited to have them on
0: awesome wait for that so yeah that will be way past our
3: time <laughs> not- yeah I hope Dara adds that bit in the edit because I did promise they'd plug him
0: um, I have no idea how much of this is going to survive the edit <laughs> <laughs> yeah, might be an extra special episode of this going onto the feed I guess so maybe a director's cut um, yeah
3: yeah yeah the Spotify cut
0: Snyder director's cut <laughs> Another time. So, this is another episode of Nerd to Know Media. Thank you so much for sticking with us. I have no idea how we got here, but I'm happy we got here. Yes, very
3: much so. I've learned a lot. It's been very informative. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then, until next week.